Well, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and stand with me to read God's Word this morning. And after we read, I'd like to ask the owner of a white Honda, license plate 5YBT068, to go shut off your lights if you want to be able to drive home today. All right, we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So we are looking at Beatitude number 6 today, Blessed are the pure in heart. But we'll start at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Lord God, this is your word. It is from you. And we we are very thankful that you have spoken through your word and that you will speak once again to our hearts through this very same word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's begin with a question today. And I just want to see by a show of hands, how many here today are pure in heart? Pure in heart. All right. Maybe I should have just asked, uh, who here is humble? Uh, No, seriously, who is pure in heart? Okay, here's another question for you. Who here feels pure in heart? Isn't it interesting what the simple question of whether we, whether we feel pure in heart or whether we are pure in heart, what that does to us? Why is it that questions like that uh, are, are bringing about such silence, such hesitation, such, such introspection? It's because... We know our hearts better than other people do, and God knows our hearts better than we do. And often we go with our feelings on on questions like this. We think, uh, hey, uh, I don't feel this way, so obviously I must not be. Or, you know, I've done so many bad things. My track record disqualifies me from ever being pure in heart. We judge ourselves deficient, so we walk away without taking the question to a deeper level. Jesus said in the sixth beatitude, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart are going to see God. Now obviously someone's pure in heart, or he wouldn't have said it. There are at least two people who are pure in heart, because he spoke it in the plural. Maybe it's the two people here who say they're pure in heart uh, that he was referring to. What does it mean to be pure in heart? 
What's it, what's it mean? And, and can our hearts really ever be pure? And what's it mean to see God? What's that all about? These are the questions that this verse raises for us today. So first, let's, let's break down the wording in this verse, because I wanna, want us to see what we're dealing with here. And then I want us to take a broader look of the idea of being pure in heart. But first of all, what does pure in heart mean? The Greek word for pure simply means to be clean. A katharos. It was, it was used of dirty clothes that had been washed. I'm sure you're all wearing clean clothes today, but they used to be dirty. And the, this word was used of, of washing dirty clothes. It was also used of corn that had been winnowed and sifted, basically cleansed of all the stuff that was not corn. It was used of an army that had, that had uh, sifted out or weeded out the discontented and the cowardly and the unwilling soldiers. Cleanse the ranks of those who are unfit. Basically, it means to be unmixed, unadulterated, um, unpolluted, unalloyed, that kind of thing. Yeah, think of a beverage that's, that's not diluted with water, like uh, pure orange juice or pure pomegranate juice. Uh, think about metal with no alloy in it, uh, like pure gold, pure gold. Basically, whatever is 100% pure, very concentrated. Uh, so that's pure. What about the heart? What about the, the idea of uh, pure in, in heart? Now, the word heart, cardia, where we get our word cardiac from, is used more than 900 times in the Bible. It's, uh, it's almost always used figuratively of something other than the physical blood-pumping organ. Um, now, you all, we all know how our thoughts and our emotions affect our blood pressure. Before I come up here on Sunday mornings, man, my blood pressure is high because I'm, I'm anticipating come up here. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, wondering how it's going to go, and I'm praying that God would, would use my words. But, you know, thoughts and emotions... They affect our blood pressure, our heart. But heart in the Bible is used for the mind. It's used for the understanding. It's used for the will, the decision-making. It's used for the memory. You've got the, the mind, understanding, will, memory. It's used even for the conscience. Part of us that knows right and wrong. Part of us that feels bad and, and when we do something that we shouldn't. Uh, basically, the heart is the very center, the very core of our being. The core of our thoughts and our will and emotions. That's the heart. Now, the, the question of what Jesus meant by pure in heart is key here. Blessed are the pure in heart is what he was saying. And he said he was basically distinguishing them, the, the pure in heart, from, from those who aren't pure in heart. The, the impure in heart. Now, knowing the context in which Jesus spoke helps us a lot. Think about those that were listening to Jesus that day. Everyone who was listening to Jesus um, as he spoke the Sermon on the Mount had some understanding of how things work in life. They had a worldview. They they had a a framework through which they viewed things, from which they viewed the world, and by which. They, they acted and they, and they thought. They had opinions about everything. 
They had opinions just like we do. They had uh, views on things from parenting to politics, from finances to food. Uh, there was whatever was part of life. They had a view of what the, the right way to do this was. But everyone was not in agreement. There were, there were many views that were out there, many worldviews. They had ideas about worship and prayer and spiritual things. Then Jesus arrives on the scene and starts turning everything upside down. See, in the Beatitudes, what Jesus was doing was mowing down the worldviews of the prideful and the arrogant, those who thought that they were more acceptable to God because of what they did. He's like pegging uh, fake sitting ducks in a shooting gallery. You know, knocking them off one by one. He would go right for the jugular. And he was right on target. For example, if you were an Essene, you would have been surprised uh, that Jesus didn't have, uh, Jesus' disciples didn't have uh, to go through a multi-year um, uh, probation before they were accepted. They were accepted immediately into his community. Or the zealots, shocked that guerrilla warfare against Rome was not on Jesus' agenda. Blessed are the pure in heart seem to, uh, seem to be aimed at the Sadducees' worldview. The Sadducees, with no belief in heaven, with a get-all-you-can-while-you-can mentality, they got rich off running cor- uh, corrupt businesses in the temple, money-changing, selling sacrificial animals to the people under the guise of helping them to worship God. It was their ticket to wealth and prosperity. Deception and deceit. That was, that was what they were all about. Polar opposites to purity in heart. That was at the core of their program. And Jesus blew their impure motives right out of the water. But when you think about what this verse means, you know, you read what people say about it. Commentators are, are divided on what this verse means. A, a common explanation is that pure in heart means inner Moral purity. Inner moral purity. As opposed to external or, or ceremonial cleanness. You know, in Psalm, in Psalm uh, 24, uh, you know, this idea, by the way, of, of, of inner moral purity is pretty consistent with the biblical teaching, uh, especially in the Psalms. In Psalm 24... Verses 3 and 4, there are these words. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? It's an important question to know the answer to. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may come near God? And who may stand in his holy place? Who can come anywhere close to where God dwells? Verse 4 tells us, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Pure heart. Look at Psalm 51. We know Psalm 51. David is praying for for forgiveness because he had been impure and he wanted to be pure. He wanted to be purified and cleansed from his impurity. And in Psalm 51, you know, he's asking for God's grace. Be gracious to me, O Lord. According to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, according to your mercy, blot out my transgressions. And in verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. 
He knew he was unclean. Need to be washed. And cleanse me from my sin. He says, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're justified when you speak, blameless when you judge. In verse 6, he says, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom in my heart. I know you'll make me know wisdom, even though I've not been acting in an unwise manner. And then verse 7, he says, purify me. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. See, Jesus took issue with the Pharisees because they were obsessed with the externals. He told them this. He said, "You, you wash the outside of the cup. You get it all clean and and sparkling. You wash the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of extortion and wickedness. See, what good is it to be clean on the outside if if you're not clean on the inside? So this idea of being pure in heart, meaning to have moral purity, makes sense. But others say it means something else. Others say that it means... um, being single-minded, having a focus on God, being devoted to God single-mindedly, no other motive but to worship God and to serve Him. The pure in heart means to, to uh, have, as one put it, a heart free from the tyranny of a divided self. A heart free from the tyranny of a divided self. Well, the Sadducees had multiple motives of what they, why they were doing what they were doing. Seems like if you're going with the idea that uh, pure in heart means being single-minded uh, in devotion to God, it goes right along with what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 about having a, a single eye. There's sincerity. There is no deception. There is uh, clear mo- are clear motives. Reasons why you do what you do are, are focused upon pleasing God. Think about the Sadducees again. Here's the Sadducees getting rich under the pretense of helping people worship God. Well, how often can we say we do something purely from unmixed motives? For unmixed reasons. How often can we say that? See, the temptation to pretend... We're something we're not. To be accepted or to get ahead is is very strong. So this idea of uh, being pure in heart, it may mean inner moral purity. It may mean being single-minded in devotion to God. There is another option. Think with me for a moment. The eight Beatitudes come in two parts. The first four... Beatitudes dealing with our relationship to God. The, the second four dealing with our relationship to others. So the first four dealing with our inner life. The, the second four dealing with how we live. So there must be some application here as to how we live outwardly, not just inwardly. So some think that it means, that pure in heart means to, to live a clean life. To live a an outwardly pure life, to do the right things, to please God by your actions. Hendrickson said, the blessed ones 
are those who in the worship of the true God, in accordance with the truth revealed in his word, strive without hypocrisy to please and glorify him. The idea of living a clean life is a good one. You want to please him. You, you want others to know him. You want others to grow in him. You, you want to do whatever you can to honor him. And your actions show it. You know, going back to the idea that was presented in Psalm 24 about the person coming near to God had to have clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands. The actions being clean. It's, it goes on, it says that he does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. In, in their dealings with God and others, they're free from falsehood. It's reflected also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11. This is the idea of in your relationship with God and with others that you're free from falsehood, that there's no hypocrisy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness there. And it says that in verse 8, whoever rejects that is not rejecting man, but God who puts his Holy Spirit uh, in you, gives his Holy Spirit to you. Then it goes on to say that um, in verse 11, make it your ambition. Okay, If you have a goal, here's what it should be. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to work with your own hands, just as we commanded you. Why? Verse 12, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. The whole idea of, of living a life that is pleasing to God and not a hindrance to others coming to know him. So there's, there's that. Um, now, it's easy to live more than one life. It's really easy to live more than one life. Being one kind of person in one setting and another in another setting. Someone different in another setting to, um, to fit the, the expectation. Sometimes we change our, our attitudes, we change our approach, we change our posture depending upon the situation so we can get ahead, so that we can be accepted and so on. Think about it in your own life. Are you the same person at home as you are here at church? Are you the same person in the office as you are here? Are you the same person in the classroom or on the sports field or, I don't know, at the supermarket or in the mall or just walking down the street when you're interacting with other people that you are when you're here at church? Are you the same person everywhere? It's like eating your favorite food. Let's say you're eating your favorite food in the dark. You know, let's say you have a banana in your car and you're driving home and and you think, I'm hungry, I'll eat that banana that's over there. And you grab it and you start eating. Now, wouldn't you be surprised if it was something different? If it was like a steak or something, you know? That would probably be a good surprise. but, But the thing is, you expect it to be from start to finish the same, consistent. I remember one time when I was a kid, my mom made a, my mom was a great cook, by the way, still is. My mom made a meatloaf, just in case she listens to this on the internet. Uh, My mom made this meatloaf. First of all, meat and loaf really don't go together. Uh, (coughs) It should be loaf of bread, but not meatloaf. But anyway, in our meatloaf, which was very popular in the 60s when I was growing up, she put a whole hot dog hidden inside of it and whole pickles so that when you cut into slices, there were Pieces of these other things. 
You got to work around those, right? <laughs> Are you the same person all the time? Consistent. When someone meets you in the office, in your, in your employment, or they meet you in the carpool line at school, you're the same as you were earlier. But anyway, getting back to pure at heart, which one is it? Out of all these ideas, inner moral purity rather than external conformity? Is it singleness of heart, the devotion to God, rather than being, I don't know, hypocritical? Is it living a clean life rather than living an a impure one? There's a good case to be made for each perspective, but I think that it is all three. All three. There doesn't need to be a dichotomy between these ideas. Thinking we have to choose just one creates a a false separation. These ideas are linked. They're interwoven. They're interdependent. It's it's like uh, Italian spumoni ice cream. You've got pistachio, chocolate, and cherry ice cream all together. You take one away, it's not spumoni. But it's all three. See, these ideas are interlinked. They're, they're, they're interdependent. It's impossible to have one without the other. You can't live a clean life without being pure at the core. So basically, pure in heart means purity at the very center of our being, at the core. And Jesus is saying that the person centered on God is blessed. Frederick Dale Bruner says, In the Beatitudes, Jesus seems to bless people at center where they are most themselves, poor in spirit, mourning, powerless, hungering for righteousness, merciful, and now pure in heart. In the Beatitudes, Jesus does not so much bless people's hands as he does their core. From the Latin core, heart. Jesus is blessing people centered in God. That seems to be what Jesus was getting at. But I can already hear it. I can already hear it. Um, the questions, well, can we really be pure in heart? Can we really be pure in heart? I mean, sure, Jesus said it, but it's not realistic. Well, sure, he said it, but it's not doable, practically speaking. I mean, we live in 2009. We're bombarded from all sides with temptation to be impure. And Satan's been, you know, honing his craft for a long, long time. And we're extremely easy prey. Give us a break. And you're still making your case. And you say, well, isn't the heart desperately wicked? Deceitful above all things? As Jeremiah 17, 9 happens to say. Isn't the heart deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Jesus himself said that evil proceeds out of the heart. Matthew 15, 19. So how can our hearts ever be pure? I mean, you got the breaking heart. You got the aching heart. You used to have the achy, breaky heart. I know, I shouldn't have gone there. You got the hurting heart. You got the longing heart, the joyful heart. You've got the fearful heart, the wounded heart. You got the anxious heart. You got the bleeding heart. But the pure heart? Nah, can't be. 
And maybe, though, you're thinking just the opposite. Maybe you're thinking, hey, our hearts are basically good. Good in God's sight when we are in Christ. So what's the big deal anyway? You think others are fixated on rules and regulations and and things like sin management. I'm free in Christ. There's no issue here. Well, I'll tell you what. Whatever you land on this, you've got to land somewhere. Most agree that what we know about ourselves, practically speaking, the heart is not the first place you would expect to find purity on a daily basis. But Jesus expects it from those who are his own. It is clearly stated in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so we've got to deal with it. You can be pure in heart. But how do you become that way? How do you get pure in heart? Well, it's not a magic pill. And there's no easy button on this one. Not at least from our standpoint. You don't become pure in heart by your own effort or by outward conformity to a standard. There's not three easy ways to a pure heart. That word for pure, katharos, it means clean or pure in a spiritual sense from the pollution and guilt of sin. That's what it means. It specifically refers to all, in this context, to all who by faith in Christ have been forgiven and declared righteous in God's sight. They've been ransomed by his blood. They have been, uh, he paid for their crime. He bought their freedom at the cross. See, pure in heart is being clean inwardly by faith. It's, it's almost synonymous with new life in Christ. The Bible says that the heart can be cleansed. Psalm 51 again, David asking God to do for him what he could not do for himself. He says, wash me and I shall be clean. I'll be whiter than snow if you do it, God. I can't. He says, purify me with hyssop. I will be clean. Look at James chapter 4. It sounds like, if you read James 4, verse 8, that we've got to do it. James 4, 8, right after, God, right after the Holy Spirit has James write, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And verse 8 says this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sounds like you've got to do that on your own. But you've got to keep it in context. Go back to James chapter 3. And verse 17, we're talking about God's wisdom. Not earthly wisdom, not fleshly wisdom, which is not wisdom. But verse 17 says, the wisdom from above is first pure. God gives purity. The wisdom from God is pure. You purify your heart by coming to faith in Christ, by trusting in Him. It's similar in, in, in 1 Peter 
the next letter over. First Peter chapter one, verse 22. Again, sounding like you do it yourself. It says in verse 22, first Peter 1, 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. Now you are doing something there. But what does it say in verse 23? For you have been born again. Not of seed that is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. You go back to verse 17. If you address as father the one who impartially judges, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Purity comes from faith in Christ. Possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Purity of heart. Hebrews 1.3 says that he made purification of sins. He did it. Peter says that God has cleansed the hearts of those who have faith in Christ. Acts 15.9. The Bible says the heart can be cleansed. The Bible also says the heart can be renewed. Renewed. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26. God is talking about what he is going to do for his name's sake. And he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. There is this relationship that God is going to give us a new heart new desires to please him rather than ourselves but you're still arguing your case and you say no but we we cannot be pure all the time isn't purity of heart a state we go in and out of go back and forth across the border many times an hour One moment we are, the next moment we're not. Yes. True. Practically speaking. You've got to be careful with your application of that, that kind of thinking. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. So what if you're a believer and you're not acting pure in heart at the moment of your death? You forfeit heaven? If we say we don't feel pure or act that way either 100% of the time, therefore we're not pure in heart, and I can never be this side of heaven, then what we're really saying is that Jesus was teaching a works righteousness, and he did not teach a works righteousness. The whole context of the Sermon on the Mount, or all of Jesus' teaching for that matter, is that it requires a heart righteousness rather than a mere rule or works righteousness. We don't make ourselves righteous and we don't make ourselves pure. Remember who Jesus was referring to with the Beatitudes. Christians, those who are alive spiritually through faith in him. And we know we don't always walk by faith. We know we don't always act faithfully. 
We know we aren't always consistent in our beliefs and our actions, but we agree when once we are in, in Christ that we are secure forever. See, God is faithful even when we are not. And the Christian life doesn't depend on us keeping it going. But on the other hand, we have choices we make every day, don't we? To do what pleases God or not. To walk in the flesh or allow, and allow, or allow the Spirit to control us. See, it's the both and answer again. God makes us pure positionally, but we think and act in impure ways. That do not align with the truth of that position. It, what it takes is a combination of trusting God and making wise choices in his strength. I think you kind of see it in Philippians chapter 2. You kind of see this, this, this dichotomy, really. See, with God, a lot of things, two things can be true at the same time. Philippians chapter 2. Salvation is all by grace, all by the finished work of Christ. But our life here on earth, while all by grace, God uses the choices we make. Look at uh, Philippians 2 and verse 12. So then, my beloved, by the way, right after speaking of, of Jesus and his excellency and his example to us. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation, work out your salvation. And then look at verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who is at work in us to will and do what is pleasing to him and we are to work out, not work for, but work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. He wants us to choose to walk in that reality, to live up to his standards. He wants us to cooperate with him so that he can bring about in us an inner purity that reflects the truth of our position in Christ versus an inner uncleanness. See, a single heart versus a duplicitous one. A clean life versus a dirty one. But how? One of the ways God most, most definitely does this is by, by us seeing God as he truly is through his word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 talks about how they accepted the word of God, not as the word of man, but what it really is, the word of God, which does its work in you who believe. God's word does a work in those who believe continually. That's why we ought to continually go to the word. 1 Peter 2.2 instructs us to long for the pure milk of the word, the unadulterated, the unmixed milk of the word, so that by in it we may grow in respect to salvation. That's what it says. And yes, we are inconsistent. 
What blocks purity of heart? Lust blocks purity of heart. And lust is a sin that blocks purity of heart like cholesterol clogging your arteries. You must say no to it. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. God knows our hearts and and, and, and so do we. Jesus said, blessed are those who are right with me by faith in my finished work on the cross. These are the pure in heart. These are the pure in heart. So the one who says they have not sinned, And the one who says that Christ's work is is not sufficient, both don't believe God. See, on the one hand, you can't say, I don't feel pure in heart, so therefore I'm not, if you're a believer. And on the other hand, it's delusional to say, well, I'm pure in heart even if my life doesn't reflect it. Both can be true at the same time. James said, Faith without works is what? Dead. Non-existent. And Jesus said we're to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. God's Spirit working in us, us yielding, us cooperating, moment by moment. See, when that happens, God's Spirit um, works through us in our lives at things pleasing to Him when we cooperate. There's a spiritual pulse. There's a desire to live in a way that honors Him. You want to know what honors Him and you find it out in the Bible. And you want to do what honors Him by making moment by moment deliberate choices. And the outcome, the reward, is that you will see God. 100% assurance, you will see God. If you are in Christ. Well, how will the pure in heart see God? They will see God now and someday. Yes, now and someday. Not just someday. How so? Now with the eyes of faith. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Looking, to, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's believing in Jesus. Those who believe. Who was, who was saying these, this, wor- this, this word on the Sermon on the Mount? God himself, God incarnate, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's God standing right in front of them. And those that believed would see Jesus as he truly is, as God in the flesh. Come down to save man from sin. But they would also, they would recognize him They would also see him someday, someday, face to face with Jesus. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, and says, We know that when he appears, we, those who have faith in Christ, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And those and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. Revelation 22, 4 says they will see his face. His name will be written on their foreheads. Hebrews 12 
And 14 says, pursue peace with all people and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The growth in faith without which no one will see the Lord because faith without works is dead. God is going to bring something out if there's life. But being pure is not the main goal. Glorifying God is. Glorifying God is the main goal. Worshiping the one who is purity itself is the point. See, many Bible-believing Christians are confused. The gospel does not ask, what would Jesus do? The, The gospel asks, what has Jesus done? That's the primary question. The Bible shows us how to live, yes. But if we're just looking for for moralistic principles instead of what it means to live in in light of Christ's finished work on the cross, then we are in danger of glorifying ourselves rather than God. And say, see what I did? Christianity is not a see what I did proposition. It is a look at what Jesus did thing. You need to believe what the Bible says. You need to believe what the Bible says. Jesus says, blessed is Tim, for he shall see God. Blessed is Steve, for he shall see God. Blessed is Elise, for she shall see God. Blessed is Kenny, for he shall see God. You put your name in there and every beatitude, if you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, you put your name in there on every beatitude, and especially the pure in heart one. This is probably one of the most shocking or revolutionary things Jesus ever said. Blessed are the pure in heart. We who know how impure we can be. One of the greatest incentives to cooperating with God and and His desires to do in and through you what is pleasing to him is to believe what he says about you. The one who knows your heart better than you do says better things about you than you say about yourself. That ought uh, to get us to, to, uh, to take notice. It gives you assurance that you are not rejected. It gives us Confidence that you can do what God calls you to do through the power of His Spirit who indwells you. Believe what God says about you and believe what He says about all who belong to Him. It will lead us to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Let's pray. Lord God, I am so thankful. I am so thankful that Your mercy is not for those who are pure enough to deserve it, but for those who are humble enough to desire it and to desire you. So Lord, our prayer today is, thank you, Lord. All of us who know you, thank you, Lord, that we are pure in heart because of the finished work of Jesus and what you have done in our lives in saving us. And thank you, Lord, that you are at work in our lives to enable us to 
to worship you and to live in ways that please you and honor you. And we pray in Jesus' name.